for the month of March, the Nell Street Art Center is pleased to present Signs of Life by Sarah Tabard. Sarah Tabard is a printmaker and mixed media artist from Fairbanks. With an MFA in printmaking from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, her love of woodblock printing has led to the creation of carved, painted wood panels. In addition to smaller work, Tabard's large-scale public art commissions can be found throughout Alaska. Her work is housed in public collections throughout the state and far beyond. In early 2020, the Alaska State Museum presented a solo show of her recent work. Tabard has been awarded grants from the Rasmussen Foundation and the Alaska State Council on the Arts. In addition to residencies in the United States, Canada, Argentina, and Italy, Tabard has been a summer and winter artist in residence through the National Park Service in Denali, Zion, and Isle Royale Parks, as well as the Chilkoot Trail in a joint residency hosted by NPS and Parks Canada. Sarah was recently selected as a 2021 Wingate Fellow at the Center for Art in Wood in Philadelphia. I wanted to talk tonight both about the work in the exhibit, but also a little bit about of an, uh, give you a little bit of an artist view of what this year has been like. I think we're all going to be telling stories about this stretch of time for quite a while. Um, and I really look forward to catching up with my artist friends in person and hearing about what's happened, the good, the bad, the ugly, the interesting, and probably some of it is very, very boring. Um, my exhibit has two visually connected but somewhat separate elements to it. And I figured we'd take a little intermission between the two and I'll tell you a little bit about what my year has been like. For the last stretch of time, I've become increasingly interested in looking at and presenting a less pristine and less mythological view of the Alaskan landscape. Of course, some of my favorite work is about the grand um, vistas and more dramatic parts of the state, things that are less impacted by development and human impact. Um, but I wonder often why it's so important to us to carefully edit reality. The version of the Alaska that I know best is much stranger, a lot rougher, less perfect, more junked up and very real. And I think if there's a theme that runs through my way of thinking about place and life, um, and probably to some extent people in politics, um, is that I'm willing to sit with some of the contradictions and complexities that's often overlooked or that people don't want to admit to. More often than we care to acknowledge there's bad in the good and good in the bad. And speaking of bad in the good, this is the approach to my property. Um, some of a, wide, a vast number of travesties that you get to pass as you approach my driveway. And I frequently gotten nervous phone calls from people wondering if, yes, indeed, they are in the right place. There, uh, there's a reason why I don't get a whole lot of um, visitors to my studio. This piece is called Connex Thunderstorm. I think I'm a champion for those harder to love landscapes, the places with remnants of life left on them, things that are makeshift, not good enough, the not worth taking along with. This is a woodcut print called Poor Man's Dream. 
I don't have to look too far to find these things. These elements are everywhere around me in the interior and in my semi-feral neighborhood where there are a few rules and no building codes for better and for worse. Um, better in that two people who are self-employed and need to build a house out of pocket, you can do that. If you wanna call it a house and live in it, it's a house and that's been very helpful. And also for the worst in that there are many lives around us that are lived on the margins. Also on the good side, I can walk out my door and have access to endless miles of beautiful winter trails as our property abuts a semi-protected parcel of uh, large area of state land. And these elements like the cotton grass and the hairs and the shadows of the black spruce in the winter cold find their way into my work all of the time. As I mentioned earlier, we've been able to build out of pocket and as we can. It's a lifestyle that's not for everyone, but it's worked well for us at least most of the time. And the exchange for not having House Beautiful for me is having a lovely, more finished, if also not sighted uh, workspace. The choice between comfort and a studio was the right one, I think, although I do look forward to some upcoming improvements to our living situation. I have to say, though, that in the pandemic, it was a huge relief to not have a mortgage hanging our, over our heads as a household of two self-employed people whose um, work both can definitely not be considered not crucial in a crisis. And in my mind, it's always both things at the same time, the light, the beauty, the cold, the quiet, the space and privacy, as well as desperation and difficulty as the way our rental cabin was left by tenants a number of years ago. Where have they gone now? Why did they feel like they needed to do this? Have things gotten better for them or have they gotten worse? I think about how everything beautiful has an element of tragedy that's built into it. The companionship and the joy of dogs and speed and trails and the inevitable end and how one of the saddest things I've ever seen are old dog yards that are empty and grown over. And this print is called, This Dog Has Died. Coming up to some of the most recent work, I've been interested in considering shapes and structures from past travel around the state, as well as very local observation in this time of shutdown and being somewhat homebound, I wanted to look back at sketches and photos from a less restricted time. All of these images are of specific places and I debated whether or not that was important in their titles, but in the end, I decided I wanted to leave that open and that the universality of their, their appearance in the Alaskan landscape um, was more important than their specific identity. I also considered the structures and the leavings and the markings of our animal neighbors. This is called Lodge Winter. And this is written under the skin, looking at the 
trails left by insects under the bark of burned wood on a standing dead tree. Thinking about how our infrastructure impacts the landscape, um, yet at the same time creates these perfect compositions. And I've been known to say before that any and every landscape is improved for me by either a dead tree or a good piece of junk. And telephone poles are pretty good too. Oh, I think I rearranged this a little bit. And why these structures that I know nothing about that lie along my routes of travel and have become so fixed in my mind. For years, I've taken a look at this A-frame that sits lonely in a birch south of, in a burn south of Ninana. As I'm driving, I'm looking forward to its arrival. I would feel great loss on my next trip if it were not there. And I wonder why this is and how I got a sense of lives that are lived by objects. Just to talk a little bit about the image making process, um, I did end up cutting this piece from the show, but it's an example of how I'm interested in portraying the sense of a structure or a place, but I'm not particularly attached to realism. It's the same A-frame as in the prior image. Um, I do quick reference sketches, I take pictures, Whatever I'm working from um, fairly quickly gets put away as I'm working on the final piece. And I like to let memory and invention and a feeling fill in rather than being worried about matching specific details that actually um, describe the place accurately. I'm gonna back up just a couple more slides. A number of the images, a number of the images in this show came from a wonderful residency on the Chilkoot Trail that I did in 2019. And this is a image from the train tracks and Lake Bennett on the last day. This was a fabulous experience. It was two weeks on the trail, which as many of you know, the Chilkoot Trail does not take two weeks to hike. So it was an extravagance of time and support from Park Service and Parks Canada. Um, and the ability to really um, sink into that, that landscape and think about all of the different groups of people who had passed through that route, the history um, and the uh, impact of the Klondike gold rush on the, the particularly um, the people of the North. And I found myself, um, surprisingly disinterested in the artifacts along the way and things that I had expected to be interested in actually uh, read to me more like garbage in the landscape, which was not what I was anticipating. Although the landscape ex itself was extraordinarily beautiful. And I did find, um, as you'll see, so we skip forward again, a number of structures that uh, were very much to my liking. A surprisingly hidden, a surprisingly Victorian hidden shed that's also not quite symmetrical. The tent frame cabins that provided uh, welcome shelter and also a connection to structures that existed on that route 
in earlier times. An old trapper's cabin falling down, sinking into the ground with faded bordello red curtains. And the image that I chose for the show card, a favorite, another tent frame. Hmm. I'm seeing those. In more recent adventures, I allowed myself one excursion last fall before the COVID numbers really took off, and I discovered some treasures along the Glen Highway. This is called the Glorious Junkyard. And thanks to the kindness of Anchorage artist Maria Shell, I was able to spend some time in McCarthy um, at a time of year that was both beautiful in the fall colors and nearly devoid of people, something that I was craving. That kind of deep solitude. This is Slight Tilt, an image from um, the mine at McCarthy or at Kennecott. And this is another of the larger pieces. This is Spring Comes to the Guardrail. I notice things as I'm passing through the landscape and they may sit in my mind for years or months before I get to them. And this is one that has been cogitating for a long time. Um, the optimism of the spring buds of stunted birch trees that are trimmed along roadways and railings has been working its way to the top of the pile for quite a while. This is bearing tree. And the same I would say is true for this image. It's been there for a while. I like the several meanings of the word bearing, the incongruity of the marking colors in the landscape, and the strange human desire to make boundaries and edges in the landscape. So before I show you the rest of the images from the show, this is kind of our intermission, I thought I'd talk uh, just a little bit about what the last year has been like for me. Um, in February, uh, this show at the State Museum opened at the beginning of the month, and I kind of came into all of this craziness with pretty hot engines. Um, this show had been no small undertaking, if any of you know what this space is like. It's cavernous, um, and I don't make monumental work. So um, bringing in a show that would hold down the space was quite a challenge for me. I felt great about it. It was a wonderful experience. Um, and I'd been looking forward to some downtime and finishing up work for a, another upcoming exhibit in May. And then there was this stunning week mid-March where everything that I'd planned for the next year really, except for this current exhibit at Bunnell came unraveled. And I'm used to a certain degree of unpredictability, um, but I also do a pretty good idea, a pretty good job of lining up opportunities and income, which are sometimes related and sometimes not. Uh, and it was quite an experience to watch all of it come undone so quickly. Public and private commissions canceled. Residencies were rescheduled to a very foggy future. Shows were postponed. My longtime Fairbanks gallery closed because the owner couldn't risk a COVID exposure. The State Museum show closed early. All of that work came home. Teaching work tanked. And although I've always been proud of what I consider to be my survival skills in the job market, 
several of them, such as work in kitchens and work in tourism, suddenly seem no longer to exist. I turned 50, and although not enough of a grown-up to, although enough of a grown-up not to need a big birthday party, somehow I'd hope for a few more friends to share my cake. Um, things felt pretty dire for a while. But we held it together, and although it could have been total financial disaster for both Brandon and myself, it wasn't. His big summer construction project returned, and the home-focused life of the past year has kept him really busy with remodeling. And I've had surprisingly steady work and access to help from both private and public sources, which I'm extremely grateful for. I remember telling people years ago when I first moved back to Fairbanks that I didn't know if this would work out, if um, I'd be able to make it as an artist, but I knew that, um, as we say, if the shit hit the fan, people would help me out. And we had a, uh, we definitely had a trial of that and it was the case. I had um, all of the support and help that I needed, which was, really pretty extraordinary. Um, we'll see how things go from here, but I'm at least hopeful, which is way better than I could have um, hoped for a year ago. We also got a pandemic dog. Um, I used my state of despair to leverage up our dog numbers, even though I had previously agreed to a cap of three. And I had a variety of commission projects that varied from a home uh, panels that were installed on the inside and the outside um, space next to the door of a house in Fairbanks to a couple of things that I um, still can't quite talk about um, to a beautiful memorial piece that you'll see in the background of some of the um, audiences in our Zoom call. Uh, I remembered again that art is something that people turn to in hard times and that my work has the ability to comfort and console and that it's work that most people have a personal connection to and relationship with. Um, and remembering that, let me relax a little bit about the future. On the other hand, last summer was excruciating politically and as a person who cares about other people. Um, I'm still very much in the process of listening and trying to shut up and leave space for other voices and to figure out what I can do to help. Um, as a largely independent artist and one who's not particularly closely affiliated with anyone or any organizations that has great power in the art world, I feel like in some ways my energy is best spent working behind the scenes, doing things that I know make a concrete difference, um, working quietly and privately to support other artists, and to prop up and fund and support organizations that deal with the very basics of food and shelter and education, education and voting rights, and these things that everyone needs to even have a chance um, to get to worry about some of the other stuff that we're worrying about. I, I think as people, we have to recognize that our capacities are somewhat limited. We can only 
do so much at one time. Um, and we need to choose the best fit for our energies and activities rather than sort of running around like our hair is on fire about everything yeah. all the time. We just, we don't have, we, we just can't and expect to be effective at anything. So I could be wrong. Um, another part of sitting back and shutting up and listening is um, being willing to be told that I'm wrong. So um, I'm happy to listen to anyone who thinks I'm doing it all wrong. Um, but this seems to be what's working for me right now. It also, doing work that's not in a spotlight is a way to guarantee that none of this is about me. And um, in order for me to feel good about that's really critical. So back to the exhibit, let's take a look at some of the rest of the show. Um, this is, these pieces are not unrelated to my experience of the chaos of the spring and the summer. I think like many of you, I'd imagine it was hard to just go on as normal. Um, I was lucky to have some deadlines and set work that I had to do, but getting myself ready for this show as well as others that now have been postponed was a huge challenge. This piece is called The Tender Spots. This is out in the morning. Um, these are from a group of images that I've been working on in one way or another for a very long time. They began as leftover blocks from my woodcut prints. And many still had various colors left from the printing process. I could never quite bear to feed them to the wood stove. And after they'd sat around for quite a number of years, I decided to take them to my woodworking class at the folk school. And with some good help there, I was able to cut, reassemble, and put cradles on the backs of them. Um, a few I'd thought were finished, and I'd actually exhibited some of them in their first state. This is called the welcome warmth. I had days this summer where all I could do was basically open the door to my studio, look in, and walk out again. There was really nothing that I could get myself to do, though time keeps moving and deadlines started to approach. Um, and as that happened, I found a few different projects, these among them, where I could persuade myself to accomplish maybe just one little task seemingly inconsequential. Maybe I'd carve the shape of a box. Maybe I'd attach a piece to a strange sculptural assemblage. Maybe I'd make one little change to these panels. This is called prevailing wind. I've also always had two strands to my work, one that's rooted in observation and the other which is, I think, a much less literal way of working with shape and pattern and color. And these two strands diverge and come back together. I don't think any piece that falls more heavily in one category is ever completely devoid of the other. This is in such a spot. I also found that knowing that the material I was working with was somewhat throwaway, that the wood had already served its primary purpose, made it easier to work on them without anxiety or worry about wrecking something precious. And if I did, and I did, there was no great loss. 
this is in calm water. I also went back and reworked some of the pieces that I had early, earlier consi considered finished, and I like them much better now. This is one of those. This is called Becoming Sharply Pointed. And this is being piled up. So when I'm working on a block for a print, unlike the carved panels, I'm completely unconcerned with how the negative space is carved. Sometimes it's rough and deep and in contradictory directions. And the accidental nature of these marks is a good balance to the relative precision of my other work. This is called the small find. And slowly over time, with lots of changes, sanding and painting, these edge closer to being finished. This is North Star Marker. The titles and perhaps the mysteries contained in these pieces point towards looking and longing and considering observations and experiences. I won't give you all of it, partly because I'm just like that, but I also want to leave space for what an observer brings to a piece. And possibly irrelevant to this discussion because I don't have photos of this, these pieces also have a secret side in that I nearly always work with my woodcuts on both sides of a block of wood. So the backs of these images have a set of um, images that few will have the chance to be acquainted with. And also, I mentioned um, in my kind of anxious state of working and not working the boxes. I'm on a very slow road to the third dimension and a slower one towards being a more competent woodworker. This is me in the folk school woodshop with my dear friend and teacher, John Manthai, who's a wonderful uh, Fairbanks woodworker. And he um, puts up with my nonsense quite nicely. Um, these quirky pieces were another lifesaver of times of uncertainty and anxiety. Working with green wood, you hollow out the inside and carve a groove to fit a dry piece for the bottom of the box. Then as the main body of the box dries and shrinks, it tightly captures the piece that's the bottom and you then make and fit a lid. Both these and the prior pieces have an element of concern about the materials that we use to make art. Uh, these also reuse old woodcut blocks for the bottoms and the insides of the lids um, and occasional other leavings and findings sometimes come into play. I really think that artists have some responsibility um, for the things that they use and the things that they use up. And although I think the American way of thinking about art is bigger and better and more, um, I am more inclined to smaller and fewer and using less stuff, which means I will probably not be, probably will put some limitations on my success, but I'm okay with that. My slightly contrary nature is pleased by the secretiveness of the box farm, box form as you will never get to see it all at the same time. What's inside, what's underneath is not to be revealed to anyone, to everyone or at the same time at once. I like this. Here's a couple more little guys. 
so that's most of the work in the exhibit. And Asia asked me to talk a little bit about what's coming next for me. I finally, just about a month ago, felt like I was confident in being able to plan at least a little bit for the future. And I'm so excited to have been able to follow through on something that I'd intended to do last spring and um, in the postponement be able to do in a much more comprehensive way. I'm going to Maine for a 12-week course in furniture building. And although I have no uh, intention of becoming a furniture maker, I think that the skills that I will learn will open up a whole wide world of new possibilities for me for working with wood as an artist. Also postponed from 2020, I'll be a artisan residence in Acadia, also in Maine. Um, so I'll be spending a bunch of time in that state and I'm so excited. I've never been to the Northeast and I'm really looking forward to both of these things. I'll probably come home and go back in between the two. And probably for me, um, most exciting is this fellowship that's coming up, not this summer, but the summer of 2022. Um, it's also been bumped back a bit because they didn't run any of their uh, fellowship residencies last summer. But I, I discovered this opportunity online several years ago. And this doesn't happen to me very often, but I just remember stumbling upon the website and saying to myself, oh, I, I want this. And I don't let myself do that very often because um, I find it's much more sanity preserving to leave a little bit of space between your hopes and the almost inevitable possibility that you will be rejected from something that you really want. Um, and I also like, I always like to tell particularly artists who are younger than I am that the only reason why I get to do anything is that I am applying for all sorts of things and most of them don't happen. Um, so this was something that I really wanted and that is a dangerous place to be and I was very fortunate that and extraordinarily surprised that um, on my first run at it, it actually came through. So in the summer of 2022, I will be in uh, downtown Philadelphia for two months um, trying to make my dreams in wood come true. And then last but not least on a much more local level. Uh, I've been involved with the Fairbanks Folk School for a number of years as an instructor, um, which got pretty interesting this winter. I have to say that their uh, ability to adapt to COVID has been extraordinary, particularly for an organization whose um, mandate is to foster the love of hands-on learning pretty hard when you can't do anything hands-on. Um, but they were able to do an extraordinary job of um, presenting uh, opportunities with Zoom and mailing out kit classes. And I uh, taught a couple of printmaking courses, which were uh, shockingly well attended. I think for two short courses, I sent out something like 75 kits to printmakers all over the country. 
um, and I am engaged in the in the slow but steady process of trying to help them turn the basement of their main building into a community print shop, um, which is something that Fairbanks needs. And uh, I look forward to spending more time helping with that the summer and the winter. Uh, and with that, thank you for listening to me talk for what feels like a very long time to myself, strangely, in my um, bedroom. Um, but uh, I'd like to turn it back over to Asia and see if there's any questions or anything else that I can clear up or confuse you about more. Thank you, Sarah. That was just lovely and a beautiful presentation. Yeah, let's open it up to um, questions or comments from, from folks. Um, it's wonderful to see you all. If you if want to turn your camera on and just be in the room with Sarah, I know that's special. Hey, Steve and <laughs> Nancy, it's wonderful to see you all. You prepared such a wonderful talk, Sarah, my goodness. Very thorough. <laughs> Thank you. I have, a, I have a tendency, I know myself well enough to know that um, I will take all of the time that is available to prepare for a t an artist talk, and so I have to... Um, basically not start until the day that I'm giving it. Otherwise I will, if I have a week, I'll spend a week. If I have a month, I'll spend a month. Um, so. Nice job. Well, while you're taking questions, I'm gonna turn my screen share on and share some of these really beautiful pictures that um, Brianna Lee, who installed the show with um, Rika Mao shared with me. And um, I think it's just lovely to be able to see what it looks like in the room. So there's your title wall. Yeah, and if anybody has questions of Sarah, this is a great time to chime in. So looking to the north and to the east. Kind of step Can I back. interrupt and, and ask a question about that title wall, I think in particular? I was just hoping, Sarah, that you could talk about that three-part structure. I wrote down like maybe a string of 10, 10 names of pieces that are um, working with that, those three panels. Um, yeah, can you talk about that, that structure? Uh, I think I was, I was, uh, I think that the triptych is a powerful, is a powerful uh, structure visually and also um, I was thinking about haiku, the the poetry structure of lines. They don't all uh, necessarily reflect that. There are some where the the first and the third are different in some substantial ways, but for most of them, there is a there is a rhythm that's set up of the the first and the third being being um, from the same block, and then the middle being different yet related. And um, you can probably say much more profound and deep and literary things about it than I can. Um, yeah, that's the, those are the those are the two thoughts that that I had. I do I do um, gravitate towards the rhythm of three, and I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure I can explain why. I have a question. This is Melise. Yes. Um, 
so on that um, grouping, each of those triptychs was um, each one of those blocks a printing block before it became a sculpture? And are the two side panels part of one block that ended up being cut into and split? And Yes, they were all blocks that were used for color prints that I made in the past. And I often um, work in a process, a, a color process called reduction printing. So the series of layers of, of material are removed as you go through the process so that the blocks often look very, very different from the print. There's much more that's been carved away. Um, but there's always something left that's uh, pretty interesting to me. And also, yes, generally speaking, um, the two, the first and the third part of the set of three is from the same block, although not always. I, I had, um, I can't remember the original dimension. They're, they were probably varied, but I, I went through and I, I um, cut everything up and then started playing with the rearrangements of the smaller sections. They're very beautiful, everything. Oh, I thank you, thank you. What you had to say through the whole thing. Thanks. Wonderful. Sarah, it's a stunning show. It really is beautiful. Um, and I'm noticing, I think, that almost everything is out of wood. And oh no, maybe there are some prints there now that I'm seeing them. Oh no, uh, not prints. No, they're not prints. Okay. No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, that's my question. Um, are, are the ones that you showed us of the places, were they prints before you decided they were blocks or it did, did they just turn out to be blocks? Oh, Margo, that's a good question. Um, and something that does confuse people sometimes. Um, so the images of the structures, they are not ever printed. And that's always a decision that I make going in. Um, the wood that I use for making block prints, the carved wood blocks that, that are printed on paper, um, I am always working on plywood and the panels are always solid wood. And um, part of why I use plywood for printing is that it, it's much flatter and I print on a press and you really want that. Uh, and solid wood inevitably will, um, change a little bit with humidity. And so they may look flat, but they're not flat. And if I were to print off of them, I would have to hand print. And I'm a little bit too lazy for that. Um, and also, if I ended up um, carving them and rolling it with ink, I would end up with print with uh, black ink down in the in, in the lower spaces and that's something that I don't want. So they, they are certainly related in terms of appearance and I'm using the same tools and some of the same processes, but they're, um, they're always uh, started with, with a particular intention to be one thing or the other. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And I'm very excited about your main excursions this summer. You need to know that um, we will be about 20 minutes from part of Acadia. So we will see you there. Wonderful. I meant to um, meant to have a have a talk with you about that when I got a little bit of time. Yeah, great. Well, a comment uh, rather than a question. We're both graphic designers, and uh, but we have very different um, uh, different styles and appreciation. But it's nice to find uh, things that we can agree on. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Thanks. What what when did you decide? I'm just so curious about these lovely little boxes, these containers, which open up a whole nother kind of universe and direction which does naturally seem to lead to furniture and other inquiries that you're interested in how did you make that leap when when did that happen and why um well i i think i've always been interested in woodworking but um despite the fact that i share my life and my home with a fantastic woodworker and cabinet maker um learning those skills from the person that you have a partnership with is not always ideal. So um, I started taking woodworking classes when the folk school began offering them um, in no small part just because I like having an excuse to hang around with my friend John in the woodshop. Um, and he was working on some of these. He has these uh, fits of passion and he was in a he was in a shrink box period for a while there, and um, I asked if he would show me some of the things that he was working on, and we got started on this process, and I found it very addictive. I think um, I will also say that these are objects that require a pretty minimal amount of woodworking skill uh, compared to some things that a person could make. So there's very little, there is nothing, there's no joinery involved. Um, it's all carving and fitting and you could do everything with a knife if you wanted to. I, I do use power tools for some parts of it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's part of that little side trip that I seem to find myself on. Um, and I, I have been interested in for a long time in figuring out ways to move into uh, three-dimensional work. I remember years ago, um, Fairbank sculptor Mark Fage kind of looking, squinting at me in the way that he does sometimes and, and saying, we'll make you a sculptor yet. And uh, I may be, I may be uh, proving him right after all. But I have a lot to learn about woodworking. I, I know enough to know how little I know and how far I have to go. But um, I'm, I'm up for the challenge. Sarah, this is Rika Mao. And I, this is not about the work itself, but your meticulous way at working and unpacking the crates, which were incredibly crafted. And just, I took pictures of every layer because they too were these incredibly meticulously packed packages. 
um, the time that you took. I mean, I kept reflecting on the time it took to make the pieces, but then to wrap them and to put them in like a puzzle in those crates. Everything about the whole package was so meticulous. Um, that's the piece right there. And I just want to commend you on every level of craftsmanship and thought and time that you put into it and how artists often are like that, that there are unnoticed details that go into putting together an exhibition and just your artist talk itself was meticulously put together. So I notice all those details incredibly and thank you. It was a joy unpacking and putting this show together. It, you're just your work is just incredible. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Rika. I do. Um, well, I had nothing to do with the crates, Brandon, my partner, who is the real woodworker was the uh, made me a beautiful set of crates, and I'm lucky to have them. And uh, I think, you know, I, putting stuff together well and getting it to you in good shape is um, you know, that's part of respecting what you do uh, on the on the gallery end. And I, you know, I'm sure I fall down from time to time, but I, I try as hard as I can to um, keep a handle on that part of being an artist as well as making the work. And I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that you notice and that you appreciate that too. Well, that that makes adds, me happy. Well, it also adds to the loving energy that you put into each piece. I mean, it is the thinking about it, it's the making, and it's that loving wrapping and packaging and delivering. I mean, it's just every aspect of it was thoughtfully and so time-consumingly put together. Just incredible. Well, thanks, I appreciate that. Thank you. This is Bonnie. I am so glad to see that you did the boxes because you know Jim does the shrink boxes too. And I think the whole idea of having those beautiful pieces in your hand and being able to hold them and to feel all the textures that you've carved into them, that to me, that's taking your work to this, this other level that is just, um, I'm really happy to see it because I, I've always loved your work, but that that whole business of holding a piece of sculpture. And you made it sound so simple saying, oh, there's no joinery. There's a great deal of work in making those boxes to where they fit together. They were uh, originally waterproof Viking containers that had to hold oil. And so um, it's no small feat to make those fit. I, I really admire your craftsmanship just from the photos. Well, thanks, Bonnie. I'm not sure. Uh, I wouldn't promise that any of mine hold water, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. That's a, that's a goal. Just want to remind everybody that the link to Sarah's collection, her price list, and all of her works available for purchase is pasted into the chat. Just scroll up to that. There it is again, the bottom. And um, we'll also post her her um, talk there, at, at, not at that very same location, but you'll see a link to it on our homepage if you want to refer 
to it in the future. Thank you for that gorgeous talk, Sarah, and really beautiful show. And thanks especially to Brianna Lee and Rika Mao for installing it and for Adele um, masterminding our presentation format tonight and to all of you for creating this um, space together where it's, it's just so important <laughs> to connect, especially when you're isolated during these times. So it was a really generous talk, Sarah. And thank you all for being choosing to be present with us. Thank you.